Father God, it's you alone that we look upon to see and to ask what is the deep sin in our lives, in the deepness of our heart that causes us really to not love as you would have us to love. Help us to see the deep. Help us to go to you only and ask for healing and ask for it to be completely eradicated our life by your work in us. God, thank you for the trials that do push the junk up that we can see it and grow and be strengthened in you and to learn you more. Father, again, we do thank you for this morning and the opportunity to break open your word. May it make a deep impact on our life and move us to a right life because of our love for you. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Anyway, our text this morning is going to be out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, actually a little bit more than that, but let's not quabble on it. Let's review. Last time we covered the primary point of love one another, our text was John thirteen thirty-three through 35. Let me read it again. Little children, get a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we started with the truth of the Word of God. That was hard but it is the foundation of all the one and others who want to try to touch. I'm not going to hit all of them because there are more than 51 and others in the New Testament. Clearly, this is a commandment of God himself to love. It's not an option list. It also had a new piece to it that we understood it was a new commandment. New not in the fact that God had never, ever commanded before to love. That's true. It's absolute. But it's new in the fact that the scope went from, in the Old Testament, Leviticus, it moved from Jew and the Jew neighbor, their fellow kinsmen, but it moved now to not only fellow believers, but to the rest of the world. That which we have an opportunity to witness to out of our love. This is only possible to love others because we have a new nature too. You think about your sinful self and just take a look at an infant or a child. How loving and giving are they? Yeah, I heard a couple of giggles on that one. They're pretty self-centered, aren't they? Mine, mine, snatch a toy away from somebody. Mine, the squabble hits, the war hits, right? It's kind of natural for us to be all about us. This is only possible for us because we have that new nature and this is not anything we can do in the flesh. The old man will not have any desire to love others, only self. True. Second Corinthians five seventeen through 19 brings us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, 
was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we do have a new nature. What's the peace that's bugging us day in, day out? It's the old man, it's the gunk. It's the gunk in the heart that we've got. That's an issue that we need to always focus on. We also have a new target or focus. The new target is all people. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first, what? Loved us. So we've got the greatest example of that love. And it's not that we've got anything special. We are dependent upon God. As we love one another, this validates or also convicts us of our relationship with the Father. We hit this point. A lot of people don't want to touch this, but that's exactly what Jesus said, wasn't it? In verse 35, John is clear. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As we said before, Jesus basically tells the world, look, I give you authority, world, out there, non-believer. I give you the authority out there to look at those who claim to be my believer and you evaluate their life based on the sacrificial love that they give to one another and to others. And by that assessment, you can determine whether they're truly mine or not. Now, that's a hard hit. We think, oh, we'll just go along bebopping in the earth and everything. We're just saying that we're a Christian. See, verbally, that doesn't mean anything. But the real reality is the fact that you and I have got opportunities to actually have people look at us and say, validate whether or not we're truly a believer. Don't sit there and argue the point. Go to God and ask Him. Wouldn't it be the most horrific thing for a person to play their Christian life all the way out to the end and see Jesus face to face and He says, Depart from me, I never knew you. So don't go down through life insisting that you're a Christian if the evidences that are there aren't <coughs> present. Serious. I mean... Why waste your life on a make-believe situation? I mean, you have believers and you also have what? Make-believers. So it's a new nature. So the fact that we, we love or do not love others brings to the surface the true condition of our hearts. We must be honest whether we are truly children of God or not. I know, I remember talking to an individual, and they said, well, of course I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian all my life. I always wonder about that one. It's like, all your life. Does that mean from birth? That's, <laughs> sorry, no. Had one guy argue the fact that he was a Christian because his grandparents founded the church. I, 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 I mean, we had gone through the whole gospel, the whole thing, you know, if I by grace you've been saved by faith and not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. You know, went through all that whole, whole deal. And he comes up to the very end. I mean, he was exasperated in the fact that I wasn't playing his game. And then he, he just ends that and says, well, my grandparents found the church and walked off. Ooh, it's sad. You know, you can be around religion for so long that you don't realize you have to have that relationship with the living and abiding God. Stuff's got to get changing. Again, that's why I ask the question to people. I don't ask them, hey, what are you reading in the Word? Good grief, I can get John out of everybody, right? Ask each, each other this question. Because you've been in the Word this week, I hope, 
what's changing. See, you can't spend time with God and be in the Word and not have things radically changing. Because He's going to work you. He's going to take you into areas you don't want to go. But He's going to show you the sin that so clogs you and trips you up. Also, let me be careful to point out that in some respects, we can also conjure up loving others to a specific point. We may be pierced that, especially from last week, that we are not loving others, so we go out and start to love one another, right? Oh, boy. Let me warn you, that's dangerous. You hear a sermon, you hear the text, it pierces you, it, it just nails you to the wall, and what do you do? I'm going to go do that, you know? That great text bugs you when it comes up, right? Pray unceasingly. So what are you going to do? I'm going to go out and pray. How long will that last? Hey, it might be good for a couple of days. Be careful that you're not doing things on your own energy. Also remember, too, that the one and others cannot be done in the flesh. It can only be driven by the love of God in us as we see others through Him. You can't look at someone and love them only through God's eyes. Just by hearing that we need to love one another and then go out and do it can be movement that is only covering our guilt and shame. We may be loving only to cover or hide the real sin in our heart. When you realize your love for others is only the action of the flesh, then you have a great opportunity to go to God and ask Him to open the sinful heart and show you the sin within. You may have been energized last week and say, yes, I need to go out and love, but did you spend time with Jesus going, why am I not loving? What's inside that's the rot that's keeping me from loving others as you would have me to love? Think about this. This has been an interesting thing I've been working with all, well, for quite a while now. Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8. Garden of Eden, fall of man. I don't think I've really poked enough on this. I think I'm going to poke more. Take a look at this. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they are naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, something they had experienced constantly in their abiding relationship with God. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Notice first what they did. They did something themselves to cover themselves. What's that good for? They tried to do something. They tried a a human effort to cover their guilt and shame. The other part, I don't know, this would be one of those theological spin your heads for, for the lifetime. Instead of going to God whom they had a deep relationship with and heard him and had such a familiarity of God, they 
knew when he was coming and when he was there. They did what? Ran and hid. Theologically, you want to kind of mess, don't, don't do this too much, but what would have been like if they would have turned and run to God and say, help, we really messed up. We've just, we did everything that you said not to do. You know, it makes you want to think. But then again, our parents gave us something we can spend the rest of our life doing. Trying to fix ourselves and what else? Run from God. If you're, again, not finding that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart and, it's, and you're not loving people, don't go run and go, don't go and try to fix it. Go straight to Jesus and say, show me. Remember Psalm 139, the last two verses? David's really clear. I mean, he has spent the time exploding his mind on the omniscience and omnipresence of God. Right? Remember that? Anybody ever read the text? Last two verses. It's what I force myself to think through often. He says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Anybody else know your heart? Well, by the way, if you know your heart, guess what it is? It's deceitful above all things and desperately. Do you believe that? Okay, it is. So why are we trying to fix ourselves? We can't. And the big thing is we go to him. You go to Jesus and say, show me. So David's clear. He says, Lord, search me, know my heart, and show me what any wicked way in me. And I love the fact he doesn't stop there and go, okay, I'll wait. He says, now lead me. You're the light. You're the light on the path, the path I need to be on. You lead me. So loving is not something we can conjure up. Loving is something that we have to go to God and look at. And again, if it's not naturally, it's not there, then go back in the heart and ask Jesus to show you the sin pattern. You know what? Instead of facing their sin and go straight to the Father, they try to fix it themselves. We do the same thing. Just think of that for a little while. When sin hits, what do you try to do? Well, maybe I have to read the Bible more. Really? How about pray more? Maybe I'll do that pray unceasingly thing. What are you trying to do? Works. If you do pray, say, Jesus, get down in that deep part of my heart and show me the junk, the gunk, the stuff that's, that's rotting there. Well, I've been a Christian for 30 years. Of course, I've got no junk. I'm sorry, if you dig down deep, you're going to find tons of junk. Let Jesus show that stuff to you. Do you know what? What would it really look like to love somebody in the power of the flesh? <laughs> You've ever thought of the opposite of the negative, you know? Love one another. How about love one another in the flesh? What's that look like? Well, is it all self-based? So would it have the fruit of the Spirit? None of them. You won't have one of them. So look deep in the heart and ask Jesus to show you the sinful reason that you do not love others. Only by the work of the Holy Spirit will it ever look like the fruit of the Spirit when you're loving in God's power. 
Loving by the power of self will not have the fruit. All right, let's go to the next big button. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 for right now. You know, this one's humble yourself. Everyone feel like they're humble? Raise your hand. <laughs> Trick question. Somebody go, yes! Yeah! Oh, I can't believe I just did that. I know. I do. You know, it's, it's like those people that turn around and say, you know, I wrote this great book about humility. It's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. I have heard that a hundred different ways. <laughs> Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do I need to read that a little louder? Count others more significant than yourselves. You're not number one. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Selfishness is a core sin of Satan and Adam and Eve. It is an ambition that mows down others to get the higher position. Selfishness is the strongest mark of the deeds of the flesh. Along with selfishness, the text is clear about conceit, or any other translation notes it as empty conceit, or what's another one? Empty glory. Along with the selfishness, the text is very clear about that conceit. The root of this is self-seeking glory, another way that has been put as vain glory. It's not a word we use very much, I know, I've, I've heard it. Dr. Robert Glamacki put it this way, it is the disease, whereas strife is the symptom. Some of your translations say that we are not what cause strife. A conceited person always feels that they're in the right and that everyone else is wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you ever seen that in yourself? Yeah, I did last week. And I have a nice non-believing fellow employee that just kind of pointed it out and made me go, all right, Jesus, me and you again, let's do it. They are higher than everyone else. No, they're not. This is a deceived individual. Paul brings it up in Galatians 6, 3, 4. If anyone thinks he is something, <laughs> when he is... Nothing, he deceives himself. Serious, folks, how many times do we do this? How many times do we actually think we're pretty important, we're pretty special? What's the reality? Nothing. Okay, put some verses behind that one. Apart from Christ, you can do... Do you think you can? How many times do you? I know, I know. Just uh. We all know this individual. The love of God is not in them. There is no room for God or anyone else as they are so full of themselves. Man, that's not the person you even want to be around. How many times do you not want to be around yourself? Yeah, I know. 
They would never see their sin as they will believe that they have no sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones marked this individual with the words, the biblical answer is that man in sin sets himself up as his own supreme authority. He says that his own will is to be supreme and that he is entitled to what he wants and desires. Every man in his pride and arrogance, sets himself up like this as God. And obviously, with a number of such gods, there must inevitably be a clash. What do you think people have clashed? Because they're all gods. For everyone is thinking of and is concerned about himself. How you like to have a whole room of people like that? Well, we might today, right? We have to check this. Paul put it another way in Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. And then he ends, he says, in showing honor. Showing honor. Loving one another shows honor. You lift them up. You can look at this verse in two different ways, in two different parts. You've got a negative outcome of the individual's loveless life that is only conceited or about themselves, right? And then the other part is the fact that they can what? Love others. What's the core? Humility. Humble yourself. How might he be humbled? How does that work? Martin Lloyd-Jones also brought it up. He says, when I read the Bible, I see sinful nature that is in me. I see my failures. I see my shortcomings. But even then, there is a tendency in me to defend them. There is only one thing I know that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust. And that is to look at the Son of God and especially to contemplate the cross true? I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones has got it. Why do some people not get in the Word? They don't want to be convicted. Check yourself on that one. Because the Word is going to show you junk. But, Jesus paid for it on the cross. With that junk, we looked at Jesus and said, you paid for it. Let's work. Let's get on this journey. Let's get on this path and start what? Cleaning. Isaac Watts, think about this one. If you're, if you're talking about the cross and staying close to the cross, remember the verse Isaac Watts wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Center letter of the word pride. Personal pronoun, isn't it? <laughs> Humility does not come by looking into the mirror, <laughs> but only looking at the work of Christ on the cross. I, I giggled when I did that. When I looked at the mirror, I went... <laughs> That's a, to me, look, looking at the mirror is a uh, pride crusher for me. It's like, oh, it's, it's not looking good. 
The cross shows us our sin, which the Lord took on himself to make us righteous. You see that to really regard one another as more important than ourselves requires that we ourselves see ourselves as we really are, as sinners in desperate need of the Lord. We're desperate need of the Lord's work in our life, desperate need of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. You can't boast in that. Where you find boasting, you find pride. You can only praise God for His work in us and His love in us. When you see your own sin, there is no way that you could be arrogant and prideful or glory-seeking against another believer or anyone. Then he turns around, verse 4, he says, Personal interests. I love this one. It's kind of confusing. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, maybe more accurately so it doesn't confuse the mind. Say, let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Yes, we have a responsibility to the interests and the needs of our family. That shouldn't be our first place to land. Think about it this way. Those of the body of Christ are our extended family. So if you kind of say, well, i got to take care of my family. So what do you think we are? We're family. Again, I bring that thing up in my mind. How many times we do not really realize and seriously see each other as not only fellow believers, but members of the same family. And let me ask you this question. Would you seriously treat those in your family like you do those in the fellow pew sitters? Would you? I mean, some of us probably might get arrested for neglect, abandonment. But we're called sons and daughters, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons. That is a family relationship. And that's what God has given us, called us, and adopted us, and saved us. Paul is moving all of us to humble service to others as Jesus gave the pure example Take a look. We're going to take a different chunk just to kind of move over to look at Philippians 2, 5, and 8 just a little bit further. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, focus on verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, big word, to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. If we're walking by the Spirit, then our interests will be the interests of the Lord, which does not cause conflicts or disputes. Consider again, verse 8 is driving home. Jesus did not look out for his own interests, but the interests of fallen man for us. Does that resonate? Further in the chapter, we see the life of those seeking only their self-interest in contrast to those who seek interests of the church as Christ does. 
Well, a little bit further, Philippians 2, 19 and 21, it's kind of amazing. If you read this whole chapter, you see just exactly what it is for us to live as a healthy body, as believers in the church. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have, this is kind of a sad moment. I mean, you think about Paul, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they that once were there all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ do you seek your own interests or the interests of Christ Paul shows this lived out again in Romans 15 1 and 2 we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's not about us being built up. Let me just give you a side note in a, in a thought. You know, people are always saying, but, 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 but if, if you know, come on, dude, you're just putting too much pressure on me. What? You mean to tell me I don't have to worry about myself at all? That's kind of ridiculous. And I should be worried more about everybody else instead of myself. All right, let's play this game. Let's say we have mm, 50 people in here, right? And you're one of 50. Now, if you're concerning yourself on everyone else, work with me, and everybody else is not concerning themselves of themselves but on everyone else, how many people are cons- being concerned and concerned of your interests? 49. 49. Is that better than the one? We don't think that way. We do different math. Oh, if I don't take care of myself, who is? 49. Oh, wow. Well, I can do it myself. 49 can help. Well, you know, I really should have asked for help. Yeah, 49 could have helped. Do you realize what that is? Yeah, it is pride. It's horrible pride. I can do it on my own. We're not engineered that way. We're supposed to be... Remember, it's the mind of Christ. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You realize we started with this fact that we must have the love of God dwelling in us as he is the only one who can truly love. Apart from him, we can do nothing. It is in our new nature to love one another. Verse 5 brings us back around to the repeating point that God must be center and the Lord of our lives, which will humble us and move us to build others up. If you're not considering others more highly than yourselves, you need to go to Jesus and spend whatever time it will take to get down to the deep darkness of your heart and to see the sin that blocks you. It is sin. After dealing with our sin with the Lord, we will be able to serve others. Remember that interesting little weird thing when you go and you're trying to help somebody else with a sin in their life? And it's like, whoa, 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 hey, basher, stop it. You got a beam. You're about ready to beat the life out of me. Get the beam out of, get the sin out, 
And don't sit there and say, oh, beam's out, surgery's done, okay, I'm fine, sit down. No, what do you do? Now go and serve and take care because you, in that beam work, you've been humbled. You don't go around going, ha, I'm not a sinner. Oh, no, Beam said, you're a big one. Probably one of the greatest books I've ever read, the most horrific book. Do you ever get to the point where those little small books are probably the most caustic? You ever had that feeling? You know, you get the big, huge theological books, you go, oh, this will be rich, you know. And then you get the little one, oh, this will be nothing. Oh, my gosh, it took the teeth out. One such book. I've read it a few times. I always love it when someone says, yeah, let's study and read that book together. Oh, why? <laughs> Go find someone else, okay? C.J. Mahaney's book on, what's it called? Humility. Humility, true greatness. Here's what C.J. says in his introduction. So let me make this clear at the outset. I'm a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. I don't write as an authority on humility. I write as a fellow pilgrim walking with you on the path set for us by our humble Savior. I can only address you with the confidence in the great and gracious God who has promised to give grace to the humble. James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. That promise forms the heart of this book, and that promise is for every one of us who turns from his or her sins and trusts in the Savior. Humility. Oh, my word, it's the biggest. I'm battling it all day at work. After I get done teaching this, and if someone comes up, that was, that was intense. What's that causing me? Pride. Pride. I immediately got to shove that thing down. I heard of a preacher one time. He, Southern tradition. He used to, you know, go to the door and greet everyone going by, and those guys that you know have fallen asleep. Come by and go, oh, great sermon, pastor. And he started realizing that was starting to puff him up. What did he do? Stop that. It's dangerous. Pride pops all over the place. Humility just doesn't like to be bred. Well, look at what I've done. Pat in the back. Puff, puff. It's a big one. But it's sin. And it comes from pride. It comes from conceit. Jesus humbled himself and died on a cross for our sins. So when you realize humility is not there, the love of God is not there, it's not going around and try to whip it up. One, I can't see how humility can be whipped up in the flesh. It's just not possible. You can't even fake this stuff. Go to Jesus. Spend the time you need to. Maybe you're going to be 15, 20, 30 minutes. I don't know, an hour. And just lay it out. And say, Jesus, show me. And then what? Lead me in the way everlasting. 
These are hard. One another's are hard because it's not about us. It's all about God in us moving and the Spirit driving us. Again, if humility is not there, ask Jesus, where's the sin? Because humility will start to care for one another, lift up one another, encourage one another. All the other one another started. Do you see where we started in love? We added humility. We're going to keep adding on top. They all start cascading and start, you start realizing, wow, all of these got to be functioning to function correctly. So let me pray and again, yeah, may have been some toes today too. Mine are hurting. I tried even this week when I was looking at which one I should do and I was going to the Lord about it and he kept popping up humility and (laughs) I kept going, no, let's do one of the fun ones. He goes, no, humility. I got that. No, you don't. Okay, I don't. It was, it was a battle. It's hard. And you know what? When God's working you on something, you know where he starts showing it up at you? At home and at work. Everyone starts pointing it out. See, if you don't go to Jesus and let him show it to you, guess who he's going to bring forth to show it to you? All the non-believers. And now you're sitting there going, ah. My testimony is getting trashed. Well, it's also a great opportunity to apologize, to show them that you're sinning in these areas. They learn. They see what a Christian does with their sin. Not go do something. Go to God. So spend time. Spend a lot of time with Jesus. And get down in the deep parts that are we've usually kind of covered over. Oh, there's tons of sin in there, folks. If you're willing to go to Jesus and say, show me, he will. But he paid for it. All of it. That's just the beautiful part. Why do we keep it? No. We like it? No, we don't. We're usually afraid of it. We're afraid Jesus is not going to accept us. Sorry, it's paid for. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the text of humility, what we've got to deal with. But the most amazing aspect, there's no way that we could say that we're out drifting on our own trying to figure out what humility is all about. The biggest point is we see that you humbled yourself and died on a cross. Take the form of us. Lived the perfect life and then died on a cross paying for our sins. Sin of pride, selfishness, conceit, vainglory. These are areas we know that you paid for and we know that it's down inside of us. It's in our old man. It's our flesh. It wars against the spirit. God, help us to spend time with you look to ask you to show and then start a path through the word of God to heal, to grow and to strengthen us help us to be humble individuals broken before you because of our we look and see our sin and for fellow sinners around us we're humble because we see 
they're in desperate shape too, and we need to care for one another. And the only way we can do any of the one another's is through humility. God, thank you for caring for us, guiding us, and loving us. Open our hearts to see the truth, that we not run or hide, that we can actually deal with you and grow. God, we love you, and we know you love us. That's obvious. Grow us this week. Grow us beyond any measure that we can ever think. And thank you, and keep us in the word and in prayer. In Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.